0: You're listening to Managing with Dr. Melly, a show that's focused on normalizing, building empathy, and sharing new perspectives to help us manage phenomena of the human experience. With me, your host, clinical psychologist and fellow human, Dr. Melly Wasserman. Thanks for being here. And don't forget, let's sprinkle a little bit more humanity back into this world. attention to what's going on right now can be a serious challenge. We often spend more time thinking about the past, maybe ruminating on something that happened today or in recent weeks, or we spend time perseverating on the future, filling our minds with what-ifs and playing out the worst-case scenario. And when that happens, we miss out on what's happening in the present. Mindfulness can be traced back a long time ago and is founded in various traditions, including Hinduism and Buddhism. More recently, it's become a term that you might hear quite a bit, Mindfulness programs are now commonly found in the workplace, in schools, and it's definitely talked about on social media. We've seen a dramatic increase in mindfulness-based practices. CDC data shows that the percentage of adults who practiced some form of mindful meditation tripled between 2012 and 2017, going from 4.1% to 14.2%. And the use of meditation increased significantly for children in the United States, from 0.6% in 2012 to 5.4% in 2017. So what is it? How do we define it? What does it look like? And why is it increasing in utilization? This week, I'm chatting with licensed marriage and family therapist and OCD and anxiety expert, Jessica Server. In this episode, we chat about how do we practice and harness a more mindful approach particularly when the present moment is unpleasant and or, frankly, it sucks. We'll discuss tips and tricks of how you can live more mindfully and be more present, even in the light of challenges and discomfort. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining us today. And if we could start off, maybe share a little bit about who you are. Who is Jessica Server? Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here talking
1: to you. And yeah, so I'm, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have a practice where I see individuals in Los Angeles and all throughout the state. And I really, I specialize in working with people who have OCD and different anxiety disorders, or just sort of general anxiety, like you were mentioning with the state of the world and the things that we are going through these last few years, or just kind of the day-to-day life stressors. But my focus is really on anxiety. And so mindfulness is a huge part of the work that I do with individuals. But outside of work, I also have my own mindfulness practice that I really value and I really credit to keeping me sort of stable and grounded throughout life. And yeah, you know, I I live in LA. I'm born and raised in LA. So this, this has been home to me and still is home to me. And yeah, it's nice to, you know, reconnect with you. I met you during my traineeship. The first Mm -hmm. the first clinical hours that I was getting as a therapist ever. So it's been nice to, you know, maintain, maintain
0: our connection. And I'm just, I'm happy to be here, especially talking about this topic. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And I I definitely, as we continue to talk about mindfulness, want to talk a bit and integrate more about your own mindfulness practice So I want to kind of ask and start off by asking, why do you do what you do? You know, working with anxiety, obviously the past two years, we have all experienced a lot of existential anxiety, right? And pandemic burnout, right? So like, why do you, why do you do what you do? Why do you specialize in what you specialize in? It's a great question. So I, I chose to
1: specialize in OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, because my sister, who's a lot younger than me, has OCD herself. And I sort of witnessed her going through that, witnessed her really in the thick of it, and also helped her kind of find treatment and watched her go through treatment. And I saw her life get so much better because of it. And that really inspired me because there is a lot of therapy that I feel like, you know, that you're just sort of in for life. And it's a great checkpoint. It's a great place to kind of touch base each week and work through whatever's coming up. And there's so much value in that. But I really loved seeing that there there were ways that people could actually feel like they were getting better and getting their lives back. And anxiety can really rob us of valuable time and energy and strip away the ability and the willingness to do things that are important in life. And so... I loved seeing that. I love knowing that there was a treatment that could really kind of get someone to that place where they could feel like they were getting their lives back. And how empowering, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's how I chose to focus in on that. And from there, it sort of expanded to anxiety in general and other anxiety disorders, like generalized anxiety or phobias and Throughout, you know, specializing in this area, I would say my work has evolved as well. And I have always incorporated elements of mindfulness, but I really do think over the years I've included more and more and more of that and just really see things through that lens and find it just so, so beneficial for the people
0: that I work with. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to ask a kind of unconventional question um, to get to know you a bit better. What movie do you wish that you could watch again for the first time and why? There's so many. (laughs) Um, I would have such a hard time answering this question. (laughs) That's why I'm asking you. (laughs) Which
1: year do I go with this? I'm actually, I mean, funny enough, I'm not a huge movie person, but... What came to mind was Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: Mm. I don't know if you saw that. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. I just loved that movie. And there was something about watching it where I was like, I'm not bored at all. And normally I get a little bit bored, like halfway through a movie. And yeah, I just thought, you know his story was so incredible and his talent was so incredible. And so just seeing, you know, those, those concert scenes or the recording scenes was like, just so cool to
0: me. So that's my yeah. And to be guided through that story and to learn about his story and their story was, Oh, uh, I'm such a movie crier. I'm like, I'm definitely the person who cries at movies Anytime I watched Inside Out the other day and like just bawling, just, just bawling and I'll ball in a movie theater and I'm just like the one that's, that's crying in the back. Yeah, that's me. I love it. So I, I want to start off by thinking a bit about mindfulness, defining mindfulness, you kind know, of what are the ins and outs of mindfulness. So in your definition in your words, what even is mindfulness? How do we define that construct? This is such an important question. And I
1: know it's, this is like the kind of obvious go-to opening question, but I think it's so crucial, especially for mindfulness, because this is so misunderstood. And because it's been, you know, mindfulness has its roots in Buddhist tradition way, way back. And I think as it's become more modernized and co-opted in different spaces, it's become really misunderstood. And so I like to really simplify that what mindfulness is about is present moment awareness. You know, I hear a lot and we all hear a lot of talk about living in the present. And that is absolutely a part of mindfulness. But I think that gets really confusing. And the awareness piece is what's really key. So I really simplify that what mindfulness is, is it is a practice of cultivating awareness of the present moment. And there are different facets to that. And there are different ways to incorporate that practice into your life. Really kind of traditionally or formal practice would be in the form of meditation, for example, different kinds of meditation, whether that's sitting meditation, walking meditation, meditation, breathing, you know, focusing on your breath. But there are also, there's also this more kind of general way of living life that is about prioritizing awareness of the present moment. So we can get into kind of the nitty gritty of, you know, these different kind of components to mindfulness, but just as that like one liner definition, it's cultivating awareness of the present moment. And why do we, like, why does that matter? Why do we need to do that? Because that's where life's happening, first and foremost, you know, life is happening in this moment. So that's all we have in terms of what to work off of. When we're going into the past or we're going into the future or we're going into our judgments of the present moment, our opinions about the present moment, we are not actively rooted in our lives. So, just on the
0: most foundational level, I think that is super important. I love that. I love that. And it's so critical, right? Like, even in thinking and identifying how the past two years, two and a half years, oh my gosh, almost three years, have impacted our lives around this, like, almost like existential anxiety around, ooh, that doesn't, what's happening around me doesn't sit well or doesn't feel well or, you know, or it blatantly just flat out sucks. Right. And so a lot of us have been really deeply immersed in this kind of existential anxiety about who am I, what am I doing? Right. And of course that comes along with a lot of the what if thoughts and the anxiety based thoughts. So I love that, right? Like, why is it important? Because it's, this is the now, like this is, this is the present. And if we are not in it, it's gone. We've, we've lost it. You're so right. And I
1: want to add to that, that the last few years, but also just, you know, life in general includes a lot of pain. That is a natural part of life. But there is this idea yeah. in Buddhist circles and meditation circles that, What creates suffering is our relationship to that pain. What has the potential to create suffering is our relationship to that pain. So when we resist the present moment, when we resist life as it is, that is what actually leads to suffering. So pain is a natural part of the human experience. It is unavoidable, but suffering is actually optional, You know, suffering is what happens when we live kind of in denial or in resistance or with an adversarial relationship to what is in the present moment. So, you know, bringing up these last few years, I think that is such a good example, right, is there's been so much pain. There's been so much struggle. And... You know, of course, people are impacted by that to different degrees and in different ways. It is not the same across the board, but this experience of it, of having pain and facing pain as human beings is really universal. And when we acknowledge that and we can be with that and sort of accept that whether or not we like it, this is what is, that is one thing. But when we notice that it's painful and we fight with that or we resist that and we throw our judgments toward that, that creates a whole other layer of suffering.
0: Right. And how we like when we're trying to actively avoid something like thoughts or to not think about the pain or about really anything that we have deemed and labeled as negative, you know, I'll always say, okay, well, don't think of a pink elephant. Do not don't think of a pink elephant. Jessica, do not think of a pink elephant right now. And what is the only thing that you can focus on? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. The moment you tell yourself not to think about something, you are already thinking about it. Totally. And you've like amplified it in in some way too, and the feelings that come along with it. Absolutely. Yeah. So I want to kind of touch on, too, right? The challenges within that, right? I, I think that there is a, you know, kind of misconception about what mindfulness in general is and social media, maybe society has deemed that it's sitting on a lily pad in athleisure wear in silence, alone, floating, (laughs) like almost this idea of, you know, I want to kind of debunk some of those misconceptions about what mindfulness is and what is an alternative way to look at it, identify it in in day-to-day, right? Cuz one of the biggest what research shows is that one of the most common barriers to adults engaging in mindfulness are things like busy lifestyles, lack of routine, strong emotions that we have labeled as negative, right? So how do we, what's an alternative way to look at it? What's a way that we can identify moment-to-moment mindfulness in our day-to-day, everyday life?
1: Yeah, I think this is where maybe changing the word of mindfulness to awareness can be really helpful because you're, you're so right. There are all of these connotations. I even still have this connotation when I hear the word mindfulness, Zen, serenity, peace. That's what comes to mind. Mm -hmm. And that is not always what we are going to be experiencing when we're being mindful. It's not often what we're going to experience when we're being mindful. It's, you know, sometimes we may have moments of that. Or if you are sitting in meditation for a long enough time in the right setting on the right day, you might get pockets of that. And those moments are beautiful, but most of the time our awareness of the present moment is going to involve really uncomfortable stuff or like, you know, like we're calling this episode really sucky stuff. So I think it can be helpful to just sort of, let's insert the word awareness where we would normally say mindfulness and we can be aware of ourselves, our emotions, our thoughts, our environment,
0: at any moment. Yeah. I I like that distinction, right? Awareness. I was teaching a, a mindful meditation class a few years ago and my office is located on a, on a busy street. And while we were kind of dropping in one of the participants had shared, there's really bad traffic outside. I can't really focus. Right. And so it was a great teaching opportunity, a teaching moment around when do we have a moment to, to be in silence really in our day to day? Of course, we can prioritize and schedule times to really unwind or unplug, right? But again, when we're talking about, and I love that shift to the construct of awareness, right? We can be aware at any moment and we don't have to have silence or nothing on our calendar or sitting on a lily pad enough leisure where to be aware.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This, you know, this morning I woke up and I was really tired. It was one of those nights where I just went to bed too late doing too many things I shouldn't have been doing before bed, like being on my phone and talking to friends too late. And I woke up this morning, just exhausted. And I had this moment of feeling like, this is not the state of mind that I want to be in when I'm about to talk about mindfulness in a meaningful way. And I wish <laughs> I was feeling more alive and more peaceful. and More mindful. I, exactly. <laughs> and I had this little like pep talk with myself of, you know, practice what you preach. And I just started saying to myself, I'm really tired and sort of putting a period at the end of that sentence. And that is one of the techniques that I use and I I teach my clients is put a period at the end of your sentence. So instead of saying, I'm really tired and this sucks and this isn't how I should feel on a day when I'm speaking about mindfulness and adding all of this judgment and all of this narrative around that,
0: just to say, I'm tired. Yeah. Right, and how like validating too, and self-validating, and practicing self-love for us to internalize. Like, yeah, I'm friggin' exhausted, right? And I I I deeply resonate with that this week. This has been a you know, there's something happening in the cosmos, whatever it is. Something's in retrograde. Not fully sure what that means. So maybe we'll have to have an episode on what that means. But I'm seeing it all over social media. Something's happening in the cosmos so I love that idea and how validating right of like, I'm really, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm tired and not following that up with, we we are so quick to label our emotional and internal experience, which is of course, you know, in many ways, a survival skill and our brains, you know, looking to label and identify things and put things in boxes in many ways have been adaptive. But to late we're so quick to jump to label, to label our emotions as negative or positive or good or bad. And how does that get in the way of us practicing mindfulness? Well, what happens, right, is when we label
1: our emotions as bad, we have this natural human instinct to push them away or find a way out of them. And when we label them as good, we have this natural human instinct to grasp on them and try to hold on to it forever. And for better or worse, that is just not the human experience. We flow through different emotions all of the time, right? And that is one of the ways that we relate to the world. One of the ways that we as human beings, our brains process what's happening is through emotion. And we go through waves. I mean, I'm, we probably aren't aware of this, but we feel so many different emotions in a day. Right. So in an hour, yeah, you're, <laughs> right, you're right. You're so right. But so when we start labeling them, we start engaging with them in this different way where we're now we're trying to control it. Right. We're trying to change our present moment one way or the other rather than just being with it for what it is and knowing that yeah the good moments feel good and they'll pass and the bad moments feel bad and they'll also pass and neither of them are objectively better or worse than the other even though they might be, one might feel better or
0: worse than the other but they're all just part of our
1: experience
0: as humans right and even what comes to mind for me right is the generational components and or other systemic components of how we interact with our emotions, right? If we were raised in a family that in which we didn't really have maybe the space to experience anger, for example, or sadness, for example, or if the alternative, we were raised in a maybe a home that emphasized maybe more uncomfortable emotions, you know, so much of uh, so much of like the systemic components of things and or familial, cultural, generational components come to mind for me as we, you know, think about even how we interact with our emotions. And that's something that manifests like day to day, right? Like we mentioned, you experience multiple emotions You know, even if we think about the commute, of course, being in LA, I think in life on freeways, my 45 minute drive on the 101 and 405 freeways to work, I am experiencing like rapid cycling of emotions when I get cut off, when I miss an exit, right? When there's traffic, when maybe it opens up. So, you know, also too, how do we build awareness and unlearn really some of the less helpful or less adaptive cycles that we have integrated about our emotional process.
1: Unlearning that is a huge process. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, and, you know, this isn't just to, it's not to just blame our families, right? This comes from society. It comes from own innate judgment. It comes from what we're taught about how to be successful in this world and what it means to be happy, right? Another concept that I think is so misunderstood. So the first thing I would say is having grace and patience with yourself, you know, recognizing that this is going to be a process. You don't have to decide one day that You are no longer believing everything you've always believed about emotions and they're all okay. And you're just on board to accept them all and never struggle with any of them ever again. I'm ready, Jessica.
0: I'm ready right now.
1: This is the moment. Yeah. I mean, that is not a prerequisite to starting to integrate mindfulness into your life. So I think, you know, recognizing even that, How you have viewed emotions or how you've been taught to view emotions or current states of life is not not something that you have to change overnight, but just sort of recognizing that it's something that you want to work on because it's no longer serving you, that is such an important first step. And from there, you build, right? And maybe you start to integrate one practice at a time right? So I want to learn how to meditate, or I want to just read about mindfulness and start to understand it. Or, you know, I'm going to take a mindful walk or mindfully do the dishes once a day, integrating this one, one small thing at a time into your life and recognizing that mindfulness is not a destination. Unfortunately, it's not somewhere we're ever going to get and stay. That might be more of what we think of as like enlightenment, and I'm not sure I fully even understand what the concept of enlightenment is. But I think that's something that we would all kind of fantasize about achieving when we start learning about mindfulness, right? Like, I want to get to that place where I just feel enlightened and nothing ruffles my feathers anymore. And so, you know, I think when we're working on unlearning some of the stuff we've been taught or learning about how to relate to our emotions and our circumstances in a new way, that's a process. And often it's something that we're not even going to understand completely before we get into doing that work. But it's something that you start to understand more and more as you make these small commitments to bringing more awareness, more acceptance into your life on a regular basis.
0: Yeah, and even as you share that, what comes to mind for me is you know my own experiences of you know being raised in a family. My father was a second-generation Holocaust survivor. My, both of my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And so in the home growing up, there was this mentality of, of course, which is super resilient of, well, it's not almost like comparing. And not, not comparing in like a, you know, you got this, right? Or I don't even explain this. Almost the idea of, you know, just keep it moving, right? It was very much like a... You know, let's keep it moving. You, you've experienced a hardship. My dad always says this Yidd- Yiddish word called like it's it's. You know, he says like move, like keep it moving. You know, like we don't need to dwell. Let's just move on. Your this experience is not that experience. And in fact, something that I that I say to myself that has been really helpful when I've experienced adversity is you know this was my grandparents experience and they survived and thrived after this their experience with the holocaust so i can like approach anything and it's not meant to be minimizing although some in some ways it might be but being super curious about in instances where we do approach life sucking or pain to be super curious about you know, that ex- internal experience, even of like, oh, like that's a moment I- I'm I'm feeling this percolating or simmering and not that it's bad because so far we, so when we're talking about breaking generational cycles, I feel like we more often than not jump to, oh, well, that's bad, right? Which is already we've taken ourselves out of mindful awareness, right? Because we've labeled, we've judged, we've insinuated that we should be doing something else, and so I love this idea, too, of like curiosity, practicing, taking baby steps, right, of I call that mundane mindfulness, like you mentioned, like washing the dishes mindfully or going for a walk mindfully. And so I love that idea of like integrating these baby steps to build that sense of awareness and really connect and engage with the experience of, of life, which is wild,
1: Absolutely. I, I love that you're bringing up curiosity because that was a huge component to me starting to understand what mindfulness was for myself or learning how to be more mindful. It was too hard for me to jump to just be with your pain. I was so just naturally and you know had been so conditioned to push that away. So curiosity was a really helpful first step for me. To just start to be curious about, oh, what does it feel like to have this physical pain in my back as I'm sitting here trying to meditate? Or I'm really sad. What does it feel like to feel the tears kind of burning in my eyes? I was someone who didn't cry for years pushed those feelings so far down. So that really helped me to just sort of connect because I'm a naturally very curious person. And I always blame that on being a Gemini, bringing it back to the cosmos. Again,
0: I have no idea what that means and if that's true, but I always say Geminis are curious. I've been told that I'm a Gemini rising. Again, don't know what that means, but that's, yeah. that's also, we can connect on that. We can't, we can't. But so
1: using kind of my natural curiosity to start to understand what it meant to be mindful and to practice being mindful. And what I'll say to a lot of people with anxiety when I'm working with them on this is you feel anxious all the time to certain degrees, right? Because sometimes we'll talk about, okay, let's get to know that feeling. And people will say, are you kidding me? I know this feeling intimately. I feel anxious all day, every day. What do you mean I need to get to know this feeling? And of course, I'm going to validate that. Yes, you feel anxiety all the time. Alarm bells,
0: alarm bells, alarm bells. What? I have to notice my emotional experience. I'm coming to you to make it stop. (laughs) Exactly. I'm coming to you to make this go away. I don't want to feel it anymore.
1: I don't want to get to know it any more intimately. But here's the thing is most of us who, who deal with anxiety or suffer with anxiety are used to feeling it. And going into reactive mode, right? We're used to going to avoidance. We're used to going into fight or flight. We're we're used to thinking about what are all the ways, all the things I can tell myself to get rid of this feeling or to, to make it go away. And what happens is if we can bring some curiosity to it, it's like, let's just sit here and actually feel the feeling, Instead of trying to deal with the feeling, let's be curious about what it feels like to actually experience the emotion of anxiety and not to kind of give away the punchline. But what ends up happening is that people start to see when they, when they create that relationship or they take that approach of being aware of it and connecting with it and learning about it, it actually goes. Down, it decreases in intensity. In intensity, yeah. Yeah. And that is, you know, it really frequently decreases in intensity. Sometimes it even goes away because a lot of what was causing the anxiety itself was anxiety about the anxiety. And so, you know, and this is not to say I don't want everyone to listening to this to just think, okay, all I have to do is get curious for a minute and then my feeling will go away you know, the moment we try to use it to get rid of the feeling we're back in avoidance. Right. But, you know, this can be kind of a really helpful and a, and a really different way of relating to really painful feelings. So I just, I love that you brought up curiosity because I think that's such an opening
0: to start to practice mindfulness. Yeah. Focusing on being that sense of curiosity. So, so I'm wondering like as we identify How do we manage the present moment when it sucks, which is already innately labeling? So we've already screwed the pooch there. (laughs) But what are ways, like what are maybe some action items that can help us be more mindful to cultivate more, more mindfulness and presence, especially, you know, keeping in mind some of the biggest barriers that people say relate to their quote-unquote inability or difficulty in being mindful, you know, around, you know, time and not having the time or my favorite, the bandwidth to be mindful. So what are, you know, a few things, maybe even action items, small action items? Because like you mentioned, something important, we got to start small, right? It's a journey, not a destination. What are small things or, or maybe action items that people can do to be more mindful, to cultivate more mindfulness?
1: Yeah. Number one, let's not think of mindfulness as another thing to add to add to the to do list, right? I love, but I love a to
0: do list. I love a to do list. We all do. It's so fun to get. To Let time. me check it off, please. Let me check it off. <laughs> but the
1: moment we make it this other thing, right? Everyone with their busy schedules is not going to feel like they have the time for another thing. So mindfulness is again, it's a way that we approach life. It's not another thing to do. It's a mindset shift. Exactly. So you can be, you can practice being mindful with things that you're already doing, right? So you mentioned your commute on the 405 or the 101 and being mindful on your commute might still make the commute, you know, feel exactly how it felt, kind of stressful and maddening. But you can practice that awareness. Oh, I notice I'm really frustrated. That person just cut me off. Or I noticed I just smacked the steering wheel when that person cut me off. And just kind of being aware and bringing that awareness in. Also start with a minute. Can I be mindful for one minute of my drive? Can I just practice that awareness for a short period of time?
0: Right.
1: Other action items you know, really come down to what works for you. So for me, beauty and nature were something that kind of allowed me to naturally be more mindful, right? So sitting at the beach, which, you know, we're very lucky to be close to here, Or, you know, even going on a walk and looking at the sky or the trees, you know, connecting to something beautiful and practicing by being aware of that was a really helpful place for me to start rather than starting with the painful stuff. So I would encourage people to try things out and find what works for you. Many people find it helpful to start with their breath. Focusing on your breath is something that's always with us. So just starting to be aware of
0: that. You just reminded me to breathe. Even as you said that, you reminded me to breathe. I was like, oh, time, time to breathe. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> Breathing just a little bit important. It's important.
1: And the last one I'll just say, um, because I also really, really like this one, and I mentioned it before, but is putting a period at the end of your sentence. So practicing saying, I'm tired, or I'm really stressed out, or I'm feeling burnt out from work or from the pandemic or from my caregiving responsibilities, you know, whatever it is that you are feeling or noticing that you start to put a period at the end of the sentence, you know, so even with the things that are positive, like I was mentioning, this beautiful tree, just being able to say, that's really beautiful. I really enjoy looking at that period not adding on. So I have to go on this walk every day and make sure that I see this tree
0: every morning or the butts or but. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Which we so jump to, right? I'm feeling sad, but I can change, like, you know, but I can do something to make myself feel better. Yes, the butts. I love making those butts and and, right? Uh huh. That's a beautiful tree and I honor it and notice it. Mhm, absolutely well, thank you so much jessica for for joining us today on managing with dr mali i really i've i've really enjoyed this mindful conversation and the reminder to to breathe, which is so important. <laughs> it's a little thing. oh yes, I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. listening in to today's episode of Managing with Dr. Mary. We hope this episode was helpful and that you enjoyed the conversation. We'd love to hear about your insight on today's topic and hear from you about what you'd like us to feature in upcoming episodes. Head on over to our website, www.managingpodcast.com to share your feedback. Enjoy today's episode, leave a review and join the movement by following us on social media platforms at Managing Podcast and subscribe to the podcast on the platform that you're tuning in from, This episode was edited by Annie Horvath. A huge thank you to those who join in on the thoughtful dialogue and reflection. This podcast would be nothing without the intentional conversations that we have in these episodes. The content within this podcast is for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute a personal or professional consultation, advice, clinical assessment, or to replace medical or mental health treatment from the host or the guest featured.